Thanks for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organisations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges, joined by relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. I'm delighted this week that I'm joined by Rachel Gilfrin, who is going to come and talk to us about confidence coaching, women in leadership, just the whole sort of challenges. And we're going to look at this from two sides in terms of the way in which um, I suppose we, as many of you who are listening, are are females, um, our own career coaching, our own um, support and confidence in that area, and also how we can support others. Um, Rachel, I'm going to hand over to you to introduce yourself because your your business is Rachel Harriet Coaching and you term yourself as a confidence coach. But it was interesting also if you want to tell us how you got into this, uh, into this area and we'll start to have a chat through the various aspects that we've been discussing just now. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, it's absolutely fantastic to chat about all things women in leadership. So looking forward to chatting. So as you rightly said, um, I am a confidence coach and And getting into this area for me has been something that sort of developed over time. So to take you back a little bit, I was in the tech industry for quite some time, over 10 years. And I found myself feeling it was really, really tricky to get my voice heard. So when I first joined in the sales team that I was in, I was the only woman and being able to express myself tended to to sort of manifest in me turning up my masculine characteristics and turning down my feminine characteristics to try and fit in. And I think that so often within the workplace, we see a lot of women trying to do this to feel as though in order to be seen as a future leader or somebody who's got the potential to move up, we need to behave in a certain way. So after years of frustrations and feeling like I wasn't being taken seriously, I began really looking at my own mindset and this became a really powerful tool for me to start to really reflect on how I interpreted situations and how much that was affecting my own confidence in how I dealt with those situations. So I began to look at how I could help other women navigate these situations. And as I think a lot of people did when the pandemic happened in 2020, I really began looking at, you know, what can I do that's more meaningful? So I started working as a confidence coach, one-to-one with women, helping them to really see situations differently, just like I had, and guiding them towards a new path for career progression. Um, So this is something that I've been doing now since 2020. Um, But I also last year 
launched um, a completely separate side of the business, which is focused on working within organizations. And so what I tend to do is work with HR leaders, looking at their people development vision and really looking at how we can begin to accelerate gender diversity at a leadership level. So the way in which I do this is I have a group coaching program that I tailor for organizations and to really start to build confidence and communication skills for the women within their team so that they can actually see the potential being unlocked in that in that talent that they've got within the organization already. So hugely passionate about helping women and it's very much been born from my personal experiences throughout my previous corporate career. So I mean I can um, empathize with that because I also worked in a technical environment with very uh, many men um, and being sort of slightly and outnumbered, should we put it? Um, the, yeah. the question, and I also that the concept of dialing up your masculine attributes. I certainly remember feeling like it was back in the days when we all wore suits, being suited and booted, almost dressing the part um, to be mm. seen in a similar way. I wasn't consciously doing that. So, my question to you is: What makes you think that it's the confidence that stops people from doing? It? What, how is it confidence that's needed, or is it you know is there something else? Is confidence part of the key to solving the problem? Um, Because I think it was perhaps something we do naturally, but I didn't think I didn't feel confident. Um, It was just more about being accepted. It's an interesting one because the way I work is I have three pillars um, that really work in in every part of the work that I do. And those three pillars are mindset, confidence and communication skills. And what I found through my work is that in order for us to be confident, we have to have a good understanding of our own mindset and well and how we interpret situations um, and we in order to express ourselves properly i.e the communication skills we need to be confident and I think you mentioned that you know you may have changed some of the way your characteristics and the way in which you behaved true confidence really comes with self-acceptance and being able to express ourselves in the way that we want to But when we start to alter our characteristics to fit into something that might not feel natural to us, it creates this this dilemma internally because we know that we're kind of playing a role um, and almost playing a part to try and fit in and, and be deemed as that next leader. But deep down, and it can take a while for this to reveal itself, but deep down, something doesn't feel right because we're out of alignment with our own values and behaviours. Um, does that make sense? So you're talking really about people being authentic in terms of themselves um, in order to feel comfortable and, 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 and comfortable to be themselves and therefore the logic would flow that they would therefore get a leadership role? Um, would, you, would you see that that is... That's, I suppose my question is, I don't know that that's what would be holding someone back in their own head sometimes. I actually think it's the environment um, as to how you were perceived. If I think 20 years ago in the business I was thinking of, I think you just had to almost adapt your, however confident you were in your own ability, in order to be seen or to be visible, I felt like I needed to change my style or just adapt it to be visible and to be taken seriously. Because you used that term when we were talking off um, air, weren't you, about being taken seriously in that environment? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that for a lot of people, um, specifically women, that confidence to express yourself in the way that you want to 
can hold you back from being able to say, actually, I feel like I'd be great at that role. So when we're talking about getting into these leadership roles, what tends to happen is we follow this sort of linear career path. Um, So typically uh, a new role will be advertised and there'll just be this sort of internal conversation of, oh, should I go for that? Should I not? And I think at that point, what tends to happen for a lot of women that I've spoken to is that they're waiting for that permission slip from whether that's their boss or somebody else in the organization, a senior sponsor, to recommend that they put themselves forward for that. And that's where that confidence element comes in, because we're not necessarily needing to be to wait for that permission slip in yeah. order to put us up forward. So I think that having the confidence in your own abilities to say, I feel comfortable to assess the criteria of that role and know whether I've got the skills or, or the skills gaps that I can solve to put myself forward for that. And that's uh, very much indicative. Of, there was a piece of research, wasn't there, that uh, women very often would look at a job um, a job description and look at the things they couldn't focus on what they felt they couldn't do, whereas men would be more likely to focus on what they could do just in terms of that self-confidence. Hence, so you're sort of saying stopping your, your coaching is around helping people make their own judgment objectively as to whether they can go, do a job as opposed to look for what they can't do. So and, and that sort of thing, being prepared to promote themselves and have that self-confidence. And I suppose going yeah, through that, because that, that challenge has been there for, for a while, I think, in terms of this. You've been working really actively through the last couple of years during the pandemic in this area, haven't you? And one of the the themes that I've heard from various podcast guests recently is that actually some of the diversity that you know is starting to improve, and whether it's gender diversity or any other kind of diversity, um, they found that actually it's gone backwards in terms of leadership stats to do with. Um, the pandemic and how people have been working and um, the unpaid work that parents have done, uh, females particularly, have picked up during that. What's your sense? Are you hearing the same sort of thing? Is that coming through in the people that you're working with? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that a lot of people that I'm working with are citing, well, of course, you know, everything had to take a back seat. And it's really interesting when you speak to people surrounding um, the dynamic in their personal relationships at home um, as to who would volunteer themselves to kind of take a backseat on the career. And I think very often there's so much guilt from women surrounding a lot of the different areas of their lives that they're trying to juggle. Sometimes it feels as though they're duty bound um, to prioritise things like, you know, childcare and you know, a lot of parents have been doing homeschooling and that sort of thing. So there's that there's that side to it. Um, but I think as well, a lot of the different bias that we see can actually manifest or, or produce um, bias against ourselves. So if we're not confident 100% in an area and something presents itself, such as... Um, such as having to kind of take a back seat um, on the work responsibilities. Very often we can feel as though, right, well, you know, it, this is the time for me to take a step back without really looking at what impact that might have on our fulfillment. Because don't forget a lot of the reason that we want to progress in our career is so that we can feel that fulfillment piece, not just necessarily that success on paper. So it's definitely been a very complex time and there's been a lot of different um, 
opinions and, and perceptions on this, which is why I always find it so valuable to speak to a lot of different people to understand where they're coming from. It definitely feels as though the, the general theme from speaking to organizations is that, you know, women have necessarily, um, haven't necessarily taken a step back because they've wanted to, but they're actually now revisiting getting back into the office. There's always that hesitancy now to put yourself back out there. And that presents a whole other challenge when we look at things like hybrid working moving forward as well, because the way in which we invest our time in things like commuting and all the other things that comes with going into the office um, is now being reconsidered as, well, is that the best use of time? Yes. And actually, it's it's often the women who'd want to have the, well, the, maybe the benefits of the flexibility um, there. And if businesses are deciding, and obviously each business is deciding differently to to change that, even though it's been working, then that may seem like a retrograde step. And people start, start thinking about their fulfilment in their career, but also their fulfilment um, as, you know, as a parent. So it is, mm-hmm. it is quite complex at the moment, isn't it, for many people. And in terms of if we look at more sort of whether it's during the pandemic or prior to the pandemic, if we looked at the fact that, you know, I did see something recently that the that women in leadership is improving or many many of the top, was the top 100 companies were hitting their quotas or whatever it was. Um, uh, but what is it that you think that companies are citing? Is it about the flexible working that's stopping women getting into more leadership roles? Is there anything that's new coming through um, that you see as causing a challenge or is it you know is it different because of the pandemic in your opinion um you're right in terms of there are a lot of stats talking about how it's changing now um so you know the FTSE 100 um has now grown to over 36 percent when we look at proportion of women on boards which is great to see but I think one of the things that can be so subjective about looking at statistics and that sort of thing is, you know, it's the same with any kind of marketing, really, isn't it? We take what we want to from it. But when we actually look at the reality down on the ground across the UK, women only make up 20% of executive team members. So really looking at where we are today with women in leadership roles, it's about understanding what the main challenges are for organisations in terms of encouraging that and empowering women to feel as though they're ready for that next step and not only empowering them for that, but preparing them as well. And so I think that one of the things that is really important sort of post-pandemic is really checking in. Now, I mentioned earlier um, in our chat about the three pillars that I work with, which is mindset, confidence and communication skills. And when we look at people's mindset towards what is possible for them, you know, post pandemic, if things have taken a little bit of a backseat or if they have felt as though they've needed to step back a little bit, getting that confidence back to almost look at themselves as, you know, still worthy of progression you know still capable of doing those things and really revisiting all the reasons why they've been fantastic in their role previously and focusing on those positives is a really important way to kind of create a foundational base layer to build confidence from so I think that really looking at where we are today and looking at what are the goals and why are the goals there because when we look at sort of you know, the larger companies who are sort of leading the way in diversifying leadership ventures, 
when we cascade that down to maybe smaller or medium-sized businesses, do they actually have an understanding of why it's important to get to that that, that sort of level of parity um, and what sort of benefits that could come from the organisation as a result of that? Because I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but there definitely seems to be a little bit of confusion as to looking at the why behind that. Um, have you seen that in any conversations with anyone? Well, I think that's something that bothers me is that it's it shouldn't be doing it just for gender balance. I don't think that's a good enough reason it's saying, right, it should be because women are just as good are given the opportunity um, to hold those those roles. I can see that there are gender differences in terms of um, people wanting to move, uh, to, in terms of, I say, sacrifices, maybe that... Um, you know, maybe women are more likely to say, actually, I'm not prepared to sacrifice my work-life balance. So I can see there's differences in terms of that. And there's differences in terms of it levels of imposter complex and possibly in terms of anxiety levels. Um, mm. But maybe I'm not saying that women are more likely to have anxiety than men, but maybe men are better at overriding it. So I think there are def- at the end of the day, there are gender differences, um, which may mean that women don't give themselves the same opportunity to go in senior roles. It doesn't mean that they're not as good. We know that businesses with a more of a balanced, diverse leadership are going to be, well, better at risk, less risk um, more risk-averse, sensibly risk-averse. And there are various other business outcomes that are better from more balanced leadership um, teams. So there's definitely, it seems that there are very good reasons for balance. Um, whether or not that gets lost along the way, so someone going, oh, we've got to do it because we've got to get a 40% quota. What you don't want is for it to be feel like it's a quota. And I'm sure it's the same, you know, in racial type um, balance. It shouldn't be that. It should be because these people need to have the best opportunity. And it's currently maybe not a level playing field. So that for me is the bigger why is because, you know, diversity is a good thing. Um, but I'm not certain that that is something that's always visible um, to leaders in organisations as to, to why they should do something like that. And we are all naturally biased, right? Um, we're all biased to want to recruit people who are similar to us or to have people that are similar to us, not necessarily attracted to diversity. It can feel threatening, um, mm. a, a natural type thing. And I mean, I suppose back to you in terms of that, do you see that kind of bias going on in the workplace? Is it actively biased? Is it unconscious bias? What's your sense on you know, of why... Uh, as, to, as to blockers for for more diversity in leadership? Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one. And I think it is genuinely very varied um, because, you know, so many of the behaviours that we see surrounding this um, are born from the culture of the business, which makes sense. But then what we tend to forget sometimes is that we have new people joining that culture all the time and everybody has got this mindset and this, um kind of history of, of what they believe is the right thing and so sometimes it can always feel like a bit of a mixing pot of perspectives regardless of how strong that company culture is um so it can be a bit of a challenge but I mean I recall looking at a Gartner study um at the end of 2021 which showed that organizations cited the number one barrier for diversifying their leadership bench was not having enough female talent within the pipeline, which is really interesting because mostly when I speak to organisations and ask them what their gender split is, they say, oh, yeah, about 50-50. So it seems as though that's not translating into the leadership side. 
Um, now, one of the things that I do find um, quite interesting is things like unconscious bias happening. So job description bias, for example, looking at the way in which duties and responsibilities are phrased and the language that's used within those that may appeal to a certain audience. And again, this could be something that, you know, has been completely unintentional. You know, it literally could be that's the choice of words from the person who's written that job description because that's what resonates with them. But if that's going to attract a certain type of candidate for that role, then that means that, you know, not all the right people are getting into the organisation. And if we have all of those same um, same perspectives and same opinions and same values, then the decisions that are made as part of a leadership team aren't going to resonate with the wider audience because the wider audience all have different perspectives and, and beliefs around that. So it's hugely important, as we know, to, to make sure the right people are going into the organisation. But one of the things that I like to work on with organisations is to say, OK, let's say we take the Gartner statistic around you know, not having enough talent in the pipeline. How much untapped talent is in your organization that you've not actually managed to identify because you've not been able to get those people to speak up and share their points and share their views on where they'd like to go so there's so many people sitting there with fantastic ideas and fantastic potential for leadership roles um, but being held back by lack of confidence yeah, it's interesting that whole point about the talent in the pipeline because it's like, well, maybe the issue then is the pipeline. It's the way you put it, the way you're defining talent. Um, if yeah. there's not enough talent in the pipeline, and your point there is there some sort of bias? I mean, I don't I have to say I don't know if I know what would be gender biased terminology in something. Have you got an example of that? I, I mean, I know that you can. I can see how certain job descriptions might attract certain personality types or uh, things, but I don't know whether there's, um, I'd be conscious of gender biased Yeah, it's, it is a funny one because it can be very, very subtle. So for example, a typical feminine characteristic may be, um, you know, community collaboration and that sort of thing. And so really talking about working alongside a team to build a project, that might be appealing. Whereas if you think of, um, let's say, a sales environment, because, I, you know, I've worked in sales environments, so I know that this would be appealing. But really talking about um the competition element of it, the leadership points, being able to, you know, work autonomously and being able to look at the sense of achievement behind getting that goal as an individual rather than as a team. And that's not necessarily looking at agenda, but it is looking at masculine or feminine characteristics. Now, of course, we all have a blend of each of them. So, you know, I'll have plenty of masculine characteristics that I exhibit. But looking at uh, two job descriptions of the same role, but really looking at focusing on different elements within that role to call out things that might appeal to other people um, tends to tends to ring true. And if you Google it, um, job description biases, there's quite a lot of really interesting examples of exactly the same role that's been depicted, um, you know, by two different authors. 
Ah, I will do that. That is interesting. And I can see, I can see the examples and you say also I can identify with where um, having been in sales environments or how you would demonstrate those um, you know, stereotypically male um, characteristics in that situation. Now, one thing I'm always really keen not to do is male bash, right? Because I've got a son and I think actually it's very hard to be um, a young man in the envir- in um, the workplace environment generally because there's lots of focus on you know, female, you know, female bias against women, I guess, and other um, other types of bias. In terms of men who want to advocate, whether it's a male HR director, HR manager, or um, someone who wants to be a, a leader um, supporting women, supporting more of a, a balanced workplace, but balanced leadership, what would you recommend there? Well, male allyship is, is hugely important because what we want to look at is everyday things that are happening, you know, the, the, the gender bias that could be happening that's very subtle. Um, and so really educating everybody to start to understand what behaviours are happening that aren't acceptable. So one of the examples um, that I talk about in my programme is all to do with um, handling microaggression and being able to identify microaggression and be able to um, call that out. So if we take an example of a group of people in a boardroom having a meeting and, you know, it could be that a woman speaking and somebody speaks, cuts her off and speaks over her, male or female, doesn't have to necessarily be male. Just having allies within the room that can say, um, sorry, but I don't actually think Olivia was finished there. Do you want to continue, Olivia? And just being able to have examples of people who understand what behaviour is and isn't acceptable and are comfortable to call it out. Because as soon as it's called out, I think everybody takes a bit of a shuffle in their seats and thinks, oh, gosh. And a lot of the examples of when I've worked with women on the program and looked at microaggression in detail and examples where they've experienced it um, and taken it through to the point where they have actually called it out in their own personal experience. Um, the people who have exhibited that behaviour, so whether they've talked over someone perhaps pinched their idea and passed it off as their own or, or whatever has happened, those people haven't actually been aware. So when the behaviour is called out, they've said, you know, I'm so sorry, I'll definitely make a conscious effort not to do that again because I didn't realise. And the challenge is we think today that, you know, the culture of businesses has changed and there isn't that direct bias towards people, but it's the subtleties that are happening every day that people have just picked up throughout their exposure to these experiences. So perhaps, you know, a leader that that they've been working with for a long time has always done something like that and they've just picked up these behaviours. Um, so really making sure that men and, and women are able to identify those sorts of behaviours and make it fair, you know, make it so that everybody's got an opportunity equally to express themselves without feeling as though they're just going to be cut off. I mean, that's just good good communication isn't it actually and giving people feedback by someone being brave enough to notice it whether it's the introverted male who gets spoken over and never gets to say anything it doesn't mm. it's it's not just but not just women but you're absolutely right if someone can actually flag it quite often the individual who's doing it isn't aware of the fact that that they are cutting people off they're 
and outspoken, their personality is such that they like to speak, um, cut people off, etc. So, but they don't necessarily mean to be, um, you know, putting someone at a disadvantage. So really helpful maybe overall in having that culture of actually these, this is the way in which we communicate with each other, this way we listen to each other and, um, you know, without being aggressive, actually raising, saying, as you said, you're a nice example of, oh, I didn't think Olivia had quite finished her point, do you want to carry on? So carrying on listening rather than going with the noisiest and loudest person in the room. Yeah. And that's that's a really helpful um, way in which many of us can do it. It's about feedback overall. I mean, I think that links into making leaders self-aware in terms of the communication style. Is That's generally having an awareness of our impact and the behaviours that we demonstrate because they may well be demonstrating a style of communication that was modelled to them, but actually isn't very, very helpful for a, a more diverse work, workforce or actually isn't very helpful full stop in terms of being a good communicator. So just going yeah. into your three um, your three pillars, so mindset, confidence and communication. Mm-hmm. If you were working with either a group or an individual, do you want to just give us a little bit of an example, maybe one in each of those areas as to what sort of things you might work on in there? Yeah, sure. So with mindset, it's very much about, first of all, understanding what mindset is and, and why it why it is so important to the way in which we view situations. So our mindsets are being contributed to every single day and they're made up of all of our past experiences. So very often what we'll find is that we have a view towards a situation or, or a personal bias towards a situation that's based on our personal experiences from the past. So what you'll often hear, um, you know, specifically women, we, we work very much on working through limiting beliefs as part of identifying mindsets. And some of the limiting beliefs that are very common might be something like, oh, I can't be a great mother and a great leader at work. Or, you know, I'm not good enough to go for that promotion because. And all these sort of limiting beliefs are happening constantly, uh, coming up in people's minds um, and stopping them from taking action. So within the mindset piece, it's very much about understanding and helping people to identify what their mindset is towards a situation, identifying any limiting beliefs that could have been holding them back, and then reframing those limiting beliefs to something that positively contributes towards their goal. Um, so that creates quite a good foundational layer because typically people can then see, ah, okay, this was my perception before, I can now see that that's not true. So how can I begin to build confidence? And by disproving negative beliefs, confidence can start to build. And when we look at, I have um, a five-step confidence boosting formula that I work with people on once, of course, we've defined what their version of confidence is. Um, Because so many women say, I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to be arrogant. And they have this kind of link to confidence and arrogance, which I think is painted quite a lot um, within the media and television and that sort of thing. Um, But within the confidence boosting formula, it's very much looking at, okay, let's get the facts. Because if we're lacking confidence to go for something, it's typically because we fear a future outcome. So let's work out exactly what it is that we're frightened of happening and look at, okay, if that did happen, how might I deal with it? So by removing the uncertainty that we feel in that situation, we can begin to build confidence on, okay, well, if it happens, I'm choosing to put myself in a situation where it could happen, but I've got an outcome that I know I can apply here. Um, And then by being able to have the understanding of yourself 
and and communication skills that are starting to build you can then begin to express yourself and articulate yourself more because you've gone through that process of understanding why your unique perspective is so important and you can begin to really look at refining that communication style rather than just communicating from a place of what comes naturally. So one of the things that I ask people to do, which of course they hate, um, is videoing a conversation that they have with somebody else. And of course, with the express permission of that other person. But to really look at, you know, their contribution level, the other person's contribution level, their, the way in which they apply different tonalities and volumes and pitches to the way they verbally communicate, um, but also looking at, you know, some of the communication types that aren't verbal and aren't that obvious. So really how interested they look, you know, are they looking down at their phone, are they, which all sound quite basic. But when we think about how we're perceived by others and looking at how we want to move forward and get into more leadership roles, we need to have a really good understanding of how we're communicating so that we can tweak and refine those communication skills with the knowledge about our mindset and confidence in the background. So there's a lot of self-awareness. I mean, I'm sure it's a very painful activity to video, but really that self-awareness, particularly at the moment, because so easy, maybe even with a remote environment, often you're over a screen or you've got other distractions that people aren't aware of. It's quite easy not to be present. It's almost that yeah. those sort of habits have, have, have established. So having that real self-awareness of are you, you know, putting yourself forward, giving yourself the best chance? actually mm. or are you actually taking yourself out of it um in in some way by the way you're behaving and presenting yourself yeah and and self-awareness actually i think you said you know it can be quite painful it it takes a lot to face into the way in which we conduct ourselves and be honest with ourselves yeah um but it's so powerful when we are truly honest because it's just like it's like meeting yourself all over again it's like being reintroduced and thinking right okay I've got all this this knowledge and, and knowledge is power so yeah it's a really interesting process so I, I guess if we were just to bring this together and maybe focus at it from an HR point of view so we've looked about the individuals and how we are as in um, personally if you were to recommend some top tips or takeaways that businesses can do or HR could do to try and improve gender balance in your organization what would they be good question so I think that typically whenever I begin talking to an organization about doing a group coaching program specifically for women sometimes there's a concern around okay well should we be offering something to women and not men and, and, what, and what's the main reason behind this and typically the first thing that I would always say is, well, do you have a goal of getting more women into leadership roles? And if you do, then this will positively contribute towards the goal. So it's very much about not necessarily discriminating anyone, but really looking at the way in which you can facilitate a goal, the same way that you would do any other strategic organisation goal. Um, but I think that one of the things that that is really helpful is looking at how you can support women to unpick their own personal bias around what they believe is possible for them. So looking at unconditional personal development for people and helping them to understand themselves so that they can proactively co-create their career with your organization rather than 
sitting on the sidelines and hoping someone's going to tell them, yes, you're ready now. Um, so that's that's a really interesting way of not only just looking at how you can help people with obviously all the other L&D side of things that they would do, but helping them to understand themselves better. So by really doing that self-reflection process, and that's for, for all genders really. Um, but I think we talked earlier about talent pipeline as well. And so often actions are geared towards a goal. So like we were talking about getting towards, you know, a certain amount of female leaders, but having a continuous pipeline of women who are being, you know, supported um, and empowered to look at a future where, you know, they have a leadership role is not only going to be, you know, positively contributive towards that goal, but having that as an ongoing thing rather than just a one-off project, which we can see quite often, um, is going to really help with the vision um, of the future. And finally, one of the other things that came out of the Gartner study that I looked at um, was looking at holding all members of the leadership team accountable towards this goal. So quite often the the directors and perhaps the HR department will understand more about the goals towards getting more women into leadership roles, but they don't share that with the rest of the business and they don't share the reason why they want to do that as well. It's making sure that the vision is transparent for the whole organisation and we all understand why that's the direction they want to go in, um, but also holding leaders accountable. We talk so much about... Um, KPIs you know all, all leaders will have KPIs and look at you know things that they need to achieve within perhaps a quarter or a year or whatever it is and typically these will be linked to um, remuneration packages if there is a priority to get you know more diverse leadership bench why aren't we looking at targeting these individuals and holding them accountable to their playing their part in bringing that vision to life and I think that that's something that I would encourage people to consider is how how could we hold the rest of the business accountable to our goals rather than just a, a few specific individuals yeah it shouldn't be just fixed by leaders trying to pick future leaders either should it? it is about creating that environment all the way up I was thinking then about um, manager as coach. So making sure that within your team that you're adapting your style and you're supporting um, everybody in the way that they require it. And so if you've got a female in your team, you know, making sure that they you don't know, prejudge whether they're going to want to be, you know, whether they're going to want to be um, a leader of the future, but you encourage them and build their confidence and and yeah, adapt adapt to each each member and of your team evolve, and encourage them yeah. all the way through. And, uh, and that, then it's really woven through about equality, really, is what we're talking about is equality right across the piece. Make sure that we're not um, just assuming that people don't want to put themselves forward, um, particularly if it might be that they're just that little bit less confident. So it's something very much that um, it's not an HR job, is it? It's about getting everyone. And it links back to employee engagement, I think. So I was just been looking at, I'm doing a webinar on that. So I was just looking at that yesterday. It's very much about getting the best out of individuals, working out what makes them tick and finding ways for them to forge their careers to develop within the organisation so that everyone can bring their talents. Because that whole one that you, you talked about earlier about um, not enough, one of the biggest issues not having the talent in the leadership pipeline was 
that must be a problem. The problem is the leadership pipeline, not the lack of talent in your organisation, presumably. Why isn't it mm-hmm. going in there? What, why is it not being spotted as talent? Um, how are we defining talent? Which is obviously a whole other subject. Yeah. Rachel, it's, go on, sorry. I was going to say, it's, it's been lovely to have you on, on the podcast. I know you have your own podcast as well, don't you? Um, and you've already mentioned your um, coaching, you, you coach one-to-one, you coach in organisations. Um, so we'll put all of the links in the HR Uprising notes so that if people want to get in touch with you directly, they can. But just for the sake of the podcast, if, if someone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get hold of you? Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, regarding the podcast, so it's called Achieve With Me, and it's really aimed towards ambitious women. We talk all about common workplace challenges and, you know, productivity tips. But really, it comes back to the three pillars as well. So mindset, confidence and communication skills. Um, so definitely check that out. It's on all major platforms. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I have a um a LinkedIn newsletter as well, which could be useful to subscribe to if you are in an HR role. We talk all about creating um, a more confident female workforce within that newsletter. So it's Rachel Gilfrin on LinkedIn. Or if you prefer Instagram, I'm at Rachel Harriet Coaching on Instagram. Perfect. And I say we'll put all those links there for everybody. So Rachel, thank you thank so you. much for joining us on the HR Uprising podcast. Wish you lots of success. And I think it's a, it's a, a very pertinent topic at the moment. Now we've come through COVID. We might have had this. There was lots of progress being made in lots of types of diversity. And it would be a shame for us to go backwards. So maybe this is something that we should really, really be focusing on in 2022 and beyond. Thank you. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely to chat. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.